Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Hi, welcome, Lauren. Hi, Naomi. Thank you so much. All right, so let's just go ahead and get started. So you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Totally. So as you said, I'm originally from Manhattan, from New York City. So I was born and raised there. Um, I currently live in LA. I'm 36 years old. And um, I will mention, because it is related to these thyroid issues, I um, started dealing with depression and anxiety and panic attacks in particular when I was a teenager. So there is the sense that a lot of the stuff that started with me started a lot sooner than we think it may have, right? Um, My background is that I trained as a a classically trained actor um, and voice actor. And um, my passion for health, people often ask me, like, have you always been passionate about health? And the answer is no. (laughs) Um, My passion for health started when I got sick, which is what happens for a lot of us in this community. Um, And, you know, part of my work is to actually um, give people a passion for health before they get sick. And Mm -hmm. um, in 2017, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. um, And I was also diagnosed with sleep apnea at the same time. So if you can imagine, I was dealing with a lot of fatigue, which was my uh, most obvious presenting symptom. I actually had to stop working. i created a career change um, and uh, had to leave my job um, and ended up having to reinvent myself. And I am now a podcaster and host and founder of Uninvisible Pod and also the kind of girl who's business on top and pajama pants on the bottom. So (laughs) I'm just keeping it real with you guys today. Like I look real cute, but only on this half. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, It's it's interesting that you say that like fatigue was your big indicator because I feel like nowadays a lot of people just kind of write fatigue off. It's just, that's just as we're getting older, it's fatigue. It's, it's life. It's everything. And I think it's great that you actually like honed in on like, this is not normal. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, it, it all sort of kicked off because I had this experience where, and I've written about this a bit where I, uh, spent an entire weekend in bed. So it was the weekend after my 34th birthday. Um, I spent the Saturday and Sunday. So those 48 hours, I was in bed for 40 of them fast asleep. Um, and I remember waking up at some point on the Sunday afternoon, really groggy. And you know, that, that, that trope of like the more sleep you get, the more tired you are. I woke up on the Sunday and was like, what is going on? Like I was so weirded out. So I called my doctor first thing on the Monday morning and was like, I need to come in and see you. This was just my, my general practitioner at the time. So yeah, I had this horrible bout of really crippling fatigue and, um, my GP had the wherewithal to call for an autoimmune panel as well as a thyroid panel. Now I'd been checking my thyroid for years because my mom has hypothyroidism, not Hashimoto's as far as we know. And hypothyroidism actually runs in my family. So we'd always been checking my TSH. And we'll get into this, of course. But um, often the very simple numbers that most practitioners test don't give us a full enough picture of what the thyroid is really experiencing and what it's doing to our bodies. And that little gland is life-changing if it goes haywire. So, And I'm living proof. Um, So yeah, it really it's important for me to talk about this stuff. The more people I started talking to about it when I got sick, the more people started saying, oh yeah, I had a thyroid crisis. Oh yeah, this happened to my thyroid. And I was like, why aren't we talking about this? And I had been working in a lot of women's health advocacy and very openly talking about periods and, and you know, vajays and all that kind of thing. And, and all of a sudden 
this happened and I was like, well, if we're going to talk about periods, we should also be talking about our thyroids and it's not just women that this affects. So, um, yeah, just really kind of life-changing all of this. And it's so true. And I think, um, yes, it's very common, but then there's so many people that don't know about it. Like I, myself, I have, um, the non-autoimmune, so I have hypothyroidism. I can just see, like, I am confident, although they haven't been tested, I am confident that numerous women in my family have it. Yeah. you can see the symptoms. And I think once you're, once you get informed, you can really start seeing it and be able to help other people, you know? Um, I can't tell you the number of people who like start telling me symptoms and I'm like, Oh, have your thyroid checked. (laughs) (laughs) You sort of, that's the other thing when you have an invisible illness and particularly an autoimmune and you dig really deep into the research, you become kind of a geek about it. And in a lot of ways, because I've had to become my own advocate, but also learned about advocacy and learned about communicating with health practitioners, I've gained a lot of medical knowledge as well. I'm not by any means saying I'm a doctor, but I can pretty much tell you what you need to check for. If you tell me that you're having neurological symptoms, I'm going to tell you to check for Lyme. If you tell me you're having fatigue, I'm going to tell you to check your thyroid. You know, So there's some basic stuff that starts to become very clear. And it's not like the whole goop check your adrenals thing. This is actually something that's um, just as serious and um, needs to be treated. Yeah. And I mean, we'll probably get into this as well. I don't know if I wrote down this question, but just you were talking about advocacy, like that is super important. And I mean, it's not to say that our doctors, you know, are, are stupid or anything, but, yeah, but just like this idea of, of knowing your body and advocating for yourself and, and, and being informed, like that is so important. I think for women especially, I think um, one of the themes that has uh, become very clear in my interviews, um, of of which I've already, you know, I've done a year's worth so far, um, is that there's a lot of gaslighting in the medical industry too. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you um, toward the end of our interview about my own experience with that. But, um, you know, a lot of us, and in particular women, um, are told to sublimate everything our bodies tell us from the minute we're born. And so when we're already living in bodies that are shamed for bleeding, um, it's really hard to then really think that fatigue is a big deal, you know, cause like I was already getting fatigued once a month, but like a weekend of fatigue, it seemed off to me. Luckily, you know, I'm kind of plucky about getting help for that stuff. And so I'm just trying to impart that to other people because it's just important to get this stuff checked because it doesn't make you a hypochondriac. It actually makes you more aware of what's going on inside that you can't see. And then once you start to figure those things out and have them addressed, it's like, and you know, you start to feel better. It's like, oh my gosh, what I was experiencing before I considered normal and that's not normal at all. Nope. So yeah, it's great to just, to really be involved. Um, Okay. So we talked about the fact that you have Hashimoto's. Yeah. Um, So you think that it started much earlier than 2017 when you were diagnosed? Yeah. Well, I started realizing, especially with regard to the fatigue, even though this was a really particularly severe bout of fatigue that I experienced right before diagnosis, you know, that sensation people tell you, oh, I just had a nap and I feel, oh, I feel so refreshed. Never in my life. And, you know, people used to say that to me and I'd be like, shut up. (laughs) I didn't want any of it or, you know, I didn't want to hear any of it because I thought, you know, I I don't like you, you know, you're getting this wonderful refreshment. Yeah. You're getting this wonderful refreshment and I'm just sitting here feeling tired all the time. So Mm. it was a recognition that I had felt some sort of burnout or fatigue Mm. for many, many years, at least since high school or perhaps earlier. Um, you know, and burnout and fatigue are two different things, but also very closely interrelated because any kind of stress on your body, depending on whether how sensitive your system is, can be a trigger for any of these autoimmune symptoms to start. Um, and I, I do tend to think that a lot of the symptoms I was experiencing, such as the fatigue, but also the depression and the panic attacks, Um, and the anxiety that I was having, while there is a familial link with some of this stuff, it's become more and more clear to me that it could all be related to my thyroid Mm -hmm. because there's a huge uh, incidence of um, uh, comorbidity between um, Hashimoto's disease and depression in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, the more research I did, the more 
this became clear to me. And while I'm someone who really believes in treating mental health issues and concerns um, and have been on antidepressants for many years to treat my anxiety and my depression, um, I have actually, as my thyroid has been healing and my mental health has improved as a result because I'm more on top of my health, um, I've been talking to my psychiatrist. And of course, this is everyone's different. It's not just necessarily me. This is not medical advice of any kind. But I personally have been talking to my psychiatrist about the possibility of eventually weaning me off of my antidepressants and seeing how I go without them because it could be that this is all related to the thyroid. So, um, you know, there's that kind of stuff. There's nutrition related stuff. And a lot of what I've worked with my, uh, my doctor, who's Dr. Lisa Hunt at, um, Holtorf is, uh, really, you know, fixing my nutrition issues, fixing my digestive issues, um, you know, and getting everything on track so that my body is actually functioning optimally because I thought it was, and I was just sort of pushing through and getting things done. But like, it wasn't, you know, um, and I'm so much better for knowing that and being able to take control back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you touched um, on the, the connection between the thyroid and mental health. And we actually just put out a blog um, and just, it almost seems like the doctors aren't really caring. And it's kind of hard with like a 10 minute, you know, the, the typical yeah. 10 minute visit, like, oh, you're experiencing this. Okay. So let's give you an antidepressant. Like that's something we've heard from so many of our patients before yeah. coming to us this is the doctor just threw me an antidepressant and it helped a little bit, but it's still, I was still having problems, you know? And so it's just part of that being informed and, you know, talking to your doctor, well, it's more than just, you know, yes, my mental health is, but there's also the fatigue. There's also yeah. this and that. And yeah. So just being informed. Um, well, and that all of these stressors on our body, when our body doesn't function the way that we thought it could, excuse me, you end up having, or at least I did, a very circumstantially related depression, right? So like I was already prone to depression um, and I got more depressed. I remember sending a text message to one of my best friends saying, I can see it. I can see the tunnel of depression and I'm at sort of the, the start of it. You know, I'm, I, I'm about to walk into the tunnel and I'm trying to divert myself. You know? right. But sometimes when you can't control your body, you can't control your mind as well either. You sort of start losing control of your functions. And um, part of the way that I took that control back was researching and learning. And with actually a lot of support from my family and friends um, and finding out like who the doctors were who were for me, because not every doctor is for every person. And fortunately, a lot of doctors um, in our our sick care system because we don't have a preventive care system. Mm -hmm. A lot of doctors are, you know, dealing with the fact that they only have 10 to 15 minutes with a patient. And if they spend more time, their superiors or the insurance companies are going to give them a hard time. And often the only thing to do is say, here's a pill. It'll help for now. Like they put a bandaid on things. They can't necessarily work on functional medicine approaches and finding a functional and integrative medicine approach made all the difference for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's always what I recommend to people who are sort of staring down the barrel of what could potentially be an invisible illness and they don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on. I'm like, go get everything checked and go to someone who knows everything that you need to check um, and who will do it for you, which Mm -hmm. unfortunately also has to happen a lot of the time outside of the insurance system. Um, But there are a lot of ways to make that affordable for people. There are a lot of foundations that um, offer financial assistance. So, you know, there are certainly ways to find help if you really want to find it. Right. Yeah. Just talking about the whole idea of, of, sometimes taking that scary step outside of the insurance-based medicine, because I mean, I get it. It's, it can be expensive. It can be, you're not used to paying that, you know, my insurance covers my TSH. So yeah. So it's just having to see if it's not working for you, what it means to step out and what that looks like. Yeah. Um, So when you first got that, that diagnosis, what did it, how did you feel? I wanted to throw myself a party. (laughs) I was so relieved. I remember going into work because it was really affecting my performance at work, but I was very close with my coworkers and I went in that day and I was like, I've got Hashimoto's and sort of, you know, we all sort of had a little clap and, (laughs) you know, I was like, can we get cake? Which of course was the wrong thing to be getting to to help my, my Hashis. But, um, 
after that moment of total relief and, and thinking, wow, I've got a diagnosis and now I can actually set in motion a plan of action, the reality set in of like, okay, I can set a plan of action in motion, but which one? Like, what do I do? Um, right. What's next? And it began kind of a manic search for resources, which honestly didn't turn up all that much. And mm. I, I think that's because at the time when I was diagnosed, um, this, I guess I was sort of like on the, the wave of popularity as thyroid um, conditions have become more of a topic of conversation. They weren't nearly as much two years ago as they are now. Um, and that's because of the advocacy work that people like us are doing. And, um, I did find, uh, one person, Dr. Isabella Wentz, um, who's a pharmacist in Colorado who has Hashimoto's, who had written about it and learned a lot from her. Um, and because of, uh, a list of like approved thyroid doctors on her website, I found Holtorf Medical. Mm-hmm. And when I say I found you guys, I mean, my mother did because I was so tired. I had to pass half of my, my work, work to her. Yeah. Because first of all, she was very willing to help. Um, but also I, the brain fog was just so like, you know, I had the fatigue and I had the brain fog so badly that I was just this shell of myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and I might be fine for like half an hour and be able to seem okay, but then I'd be in bed the rest of the day, you know? So it's that thing with spoonies, um, for those who are familiar with the spoon theory, you know, that a lot of people outside our immediate circle also struggle to understand, even when we communicate, um, what it's like to live in a body that uh, just uses energy in a different way, um, you know, where where your typical person might not lose all of their energy from a half hour of conversation. It takes a lot of mental energy, and that mm-hmm. drains my entire body now. So, I've just become a lot more aware of saying what I need and learning what boundaries are for me. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot of deep work that involves a lot of psychological elements as well as we've discussed. So yeah, yeah, it's not an easy road, but once you get the diagnosis, at least you can start doing something about it. And, and for me, uh, there was a huge shift when I, when I looked into the integrative uh, approach. Yeah. Um, so you, you talked about your mom just being like this great support system, how has that made a difference for you as far as like having that support? I mean, is, is it just her or do you have like a wealth of support around? And- I have, I, I have a wealth of support. I must say I'm extremely lucky. Um, and I reflect on it constantly cause I can't believe my luck. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just saying last night to my mom cause my, so my parents live like an hour and a half away mm-hmm. and it happened that they moved closer to me before I got sick. So when I got mm-hmm. sick, they were nearby which was amazing. Um, and I've had a number of friends who've been so supportive, but it's because I reached out to them and told them what I needed. If I hadn't done that, I don't know that they would understand in the same way, but I've got two friends in particular, or th- I should say three, three friends in particular here locally who are my rocks. Um, Actually, one of them isn't local. <laughs> one of them's in Arizona. Um, the other two are here in LA. But um, so I have these friends who are super close by. One of them's five minutes away. And, you know, some nights is like, should I just bring a bottle of wine over and let's just like chill and watch a movie? And I'm like, yes, that's all I can muster. But I want to be social, you know. So I've had these really supportive friends. And then my family, both my mother and father and my extended family who were like in Australia and like all over the map um, have just been checking in and been so kind and generous with their time. And so that's been huge and honestly has just made me closer with all of these people. I was already extremely close with my parents. Um, but I just, I reflect constantly on how fortunate I am. And I think I've realized how fortunate I am because I got sick. Like, I don't know if, I think I took it for granted a little bit, you know, a few months ago and, and now I really, realize how fortunate I am. And, and I also recognize my privilege in, in these situations. You know, I recognize that I had the resources available to me right. to be able to afford medical treatment that a lot of people can't, um, which is why I think it's so important for us to talk about ways in which people can find that support or those communities if they don't have immediate access to them. Um, and there are so many ways to find support, especially now. I think now is a better time to be sick than even two years ago. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of help out there and a lot of information and resources available to people. Um, and 
it's just about getting past yourself and getting past that block of being able to seek help because that Mm -hmm. pride can be a really tough emotion and state to navigate. Um, so I, I sort of, I had to strip myself of all my pride, um, in order to get it back. Right. Um, and it was like a, a, a breaking down to rebuild and it's empowered me more than I've ever been before. I'm also in my thirties now, so I care less about what other people think, which helps. Um, but you know, I think it's all a journey and I think, um, if people offer to help you and they're, they're good, solid, reliable people, don't turn that down. You know, it's right. only going to improve your relationships and, um, and of course everyone's different, but, um, yeah, I'm just so lucky and I'm, I can't believe my luck at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. great because we've, we've definitely talked to a number of people who, um, there's just no support. Like they feel that they don't have that support Yeah, and it, it, it takes, it takes an extra toll on them because then they feel like they're battling alone. Absolutely. And that kind of additional stress on the body, again, it's not only a trigger for these symptoms, but it's also something that keeps you in in a sick loop um, mentally and physically. And they're so closely intertwined. um, And healing is such a holistic process. You have to be looking at all of these elements. So um, yeah, really fighting for what you deserve and what you need. I mean, I've had to call my insurance company and threaten them before, you know, like I've been there <laughs> and I have the resources and I've had to do stuff like that. So, um, yeah, really the whole point of me then starting this podcast and talking so openly about this stuff was to impart to people that like there are ways to get well, Um, even when it seems like we're at the end of our rope and there are communities out there and there are people who are going through the same things we're going through. Um, and we're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you were first diagnosed, what was one of your first action steps for trying to get the thyroid back on track? So, uh, the first endocrinologist I had, (laughs) um, who only tested my TSH put me on, uh, Synthroid or levothyroxine, um, T4, uh, is what it is. So she put me on that and I was on it for six weeks. She retested me just my TSH and, um, and I, this is one of the things that, you know, we have these experiences of the gaslighting, like I mentioned, and I was gaslit by another woman, which was extra irritating. Yeah. Um, yeah but I, I went into her office six weeks later and I was like, I'm not okay. And she looked at me and she looked at her chart in front of her and she said, well, your numbers are fine. And I said, well, I don't feel fine. Right. And she said, well, I think it's time you see a psychiatrist. And I was like, look at my chart because I already do (laughs) for a start. Um, But also it was one of those experiences where I sat there and I was like, you don't see this, do you? Like, you don't, you're not here to engage with this as a whole person. So that was a wake up call. I remember that um, appointment calling my mom right afterward and she was like, that's it. You're not seeing that doctor again. This was the first time I've also ever had the experience of, and this is why I mentioned, like I grew up in Manhattan. I grew up thinking doctors were God and they had all the right answers. And here I was in a situation where this doctor wasn't able to help me anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I was like, I guess this isn't my doctor. And I guess I need to go to someone else. Like I'd never been able to fathom an idea like that. So it was at that point that we really hit the ground running more with searching on Dr. Wentz's website and, um, you know, looking for other resources and, and ended up finding Holtorf. Um, and I also have an integrative endocrinologist at UCLA now who's amazing. Um, so I sort of work in between both of them um, and they complement each other really beautifully and I, they communicate with each other. So it's just Great. Great now. And what happened was that my doctors at Holtorf were the first to mention combo therapy to me, which I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and um, it's that combo of the T4 and T3 that so many of us, we absorb the, the T4 and it may show that it's in our system on these blood tests, but 
we're not properly absorbing it in our systems. It's sort of like calcium and vitamin D. Like, you know, we know that you need vitamin D to absorb calcium. Is that right? <laughs> I think it's that way around and not the other. But, you know, you need one to absorb the other. Same thing with T3 and T4 for a good number of us. Not for everyone. Right. Um, you know, my mom who has hypothyroidism is on Synthroid. No problem, you know. Um, but I, on the T4, was still feeling really sick. Um, and I knew it was not just the sleep disorders that were also impairing, um, my function. It was really systemic. It was really physiological. It was all my systems breaking down. So when I went to start seeing Dr. Hunt, you know, the first thing she did was put me on T3 with my T4, um, or Cytomel, Lyothyronin. Um, and immediately there was a difference. Um, I started perking up. Um, and it's been an ongoing journey over the last couple of years, just sort of changing my dosing here and there because our hormones shift constantly. Um, so it's really important even once you get that diagnosis and you start treatment to really be mindful of your body and be able to track changes, whether that's through journaling about them or being able to wake up and feel the difference and be able to call your doctor and say like, Hey, can I come in and see you? I think an adjustment. So I've been doing that now back and forth for a while and I'm in a pretty decent place and, um, but you know, always just mindful of stuff and ready to change as needed. Um, and sometimes I still have bouts of fatigue. I had one this weekend and I, when it happens, I think, okay, you know, like, so right now I just need to rest. Sometimes it's just that I need more rest than your average bear. So, um, I'm okay with that. Um, and it's just sort of leaning into that and leaning into my body being in a different state than it was before and acknowledging the changes and and moving forward and being positive about them. Yeah. I I think it's great that you pointed out, um, just the, it's going to happen where we're going to need to adjust and we're going to need to relook at things because like you said, our bodies are changing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think sometimes we can get into the, the idea that, okay, I'm feeling great. Um, I should be on this one forever and yeah. I'll be, and it doesn't work a lot of the You have to be open-minded. Mm-hmm. You know, you really, you have to be able to, to rock change, um, mm-hmm. in a really big way. And, and, and you have to become flexible if you're not. Um, and in many ways that means relinquishing a feeling of control yeah. in, in order to regain it. Um, yeah. but it, it is, it's really like, well, on a base level, acknowledging whether or not you're okay and going from there and really fighting for what you need. Because, you know, it's interesting. I I was reflecting on this recently with a friend that I remember learning in college that like follow-up is up to you, you know, that it's not anyone else's job to hand you things like they do. Um, And I learned that lesson and I think I learned it again when I got sick, you know, that, that a lot of the follow-up I was responsible for. Um, and I'm okay with that, you know, um, I'm certainly a type A personality, so that's not a problem, but, um, you know, it's about really keeping track of stuff and being organized enough to like make the note about here's when I'm having my follow-up appointment or here's when I need to call to make the appointment or here's when I need to refill my medication so I'll have enough when I go on that trip. It's just being mindful of that kind of stuff because I'm now on medication for the rest of my life. Um, That's fine. Um, But, you know, it's just really keeping an eye on everything. And I'm also a woman in her 30s. My hormones are going to shift massively between now and my mid to late 40s, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I'm very mindful of how that change is going to track with all of the hormones in my body and all of the glands from which those hormones are secreted and the entire endocrine system. So it's just like, and part of that has come from an anatomy lesson and talking more to my doctors. Um, And what's great about the integrative approach at Holtorf as well is that, I mean, the first appointment I had with Dr. Hunt, I was in there for like an hour, an hour and a half. And um, I'd never felt listened to in that way before. So it's kind of amazing when people give you your time like that. Um, you can really get to a root cause as well. Um, and treating the root cause is really important for healing too. So, um, yeah, I just, and I can't recommend the integrative approach more because I think that's the game changer. Um, and I think more and more Western traditional Western doctors are, are beginning to make that shift, but it's still lacking in some ways in the training. And so it's sort of a balancing act. And as patients, we have to stay informed. 
um, not only in terms of medical and uh, technology and scientific developments, but also in terms of the insurance system and like what we can actually have with what we're paying into. So um, there's a lot to stay on top of, but it's also part of being a grown up. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just about reorganizing things so they work for you. And for me, I was sort of lucky that I had to leave work and reinvent myself because now I have a career where I, I'm able to make my own hours and, and take mm -hmm. them it and um, that's really helpful. And there are so many like remote work opportunities out there for people who oh, yeah. um, feel that they need to like sort of work freelance or work from home. There are so many ways to do that now too. So it's a way better time to be sick than ever before, like I said. So this episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com. That's E-M-B-R-Labs.com. Enter code INVISIBLE at checkout and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. And I think a lot of this, um, a lot of what we've been talking about kind of comes down to the idea of listening to your body and, and knowing what's going on. And then on top of that, like finding a doctor that understands that those things are important. You know, it kind of sounded like your first, your first endocrinologist kind of wrote off the fact that you felt a certain way. But it's like those feelings, how you, you are the person that knows your body the best. And those feelings are valid yeah. and they're not made up in your head. You know, right. like it is like, okay, I found this lump. I should get that checked out. Okay. You know, I've got this mole. I think it's a little funky. Check it out. You know, like right. whatever it is. And for me, it was this fatigue and this brain fog and I even had muscle cramping, you know? Um, and it, I really was just like, I need to fix it. Like I, I realized I was living a half life. I wasn't happy living that way. And I decided to make my life more full in ways that worked for my body now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I also think part of what's really important about that is not only communicating with the powers that be, be they our medical providers or our uh, insurance providers, but also with our friends and loved ones. Because it took me four months to reach out to people and say, like, I am having a rough time. I know people who take years to say that. Um, and it damages you psychologically the more you hold back. Um, so it forced me to communicate, um, which also made me closer with those people I communicated with, you know? So your inner circle becomes in some ways smaller because not everyone can handle what you're dealing with, but the ones who show up, it's like unbelievable when they do. Um, Okay, so we talked about a little bit um, the treatment. You, you said you switched to a combo therapy. What other, I mean, if you're willing to share, what other treatments do you think have worked for you? And, and how long do you think it took to find that symptom relief? Yeah. So um, I think one of the things that really worked for me were peptides. Um, mm -hmm. So taking oral peptides and then injectables as well. Um, a lot of people may not be familiar with the fact that most autoimmune conditions actually start because of gut dysfunction. So whether it's leaky gut, whether it's the presence of um, maybe illnesses that you had long, a long, long time ago, like strep or um, EBV or mono. Um, so there are all these things that can live in your gut and populate your microbiome in ways that are not ideal or optimal. So um, I found that doing the injectable peptides really helped my gut to clear up some of what was going on. Um, and it, it sort of accelerated my healing as well. I found whenever I go into a dip, when I get back on the peptides, it gets me back on the level. So for whatever reason, if my, my gut is below optimal level, I can get it back to functioning better when I do the peptides. I mean, recently I was in seeing Dr. Hunt and I told her I was going on a trip and I was feeling kind of fatigued. And she was like, well, if you're feeling a little bit lower than usual, just do the peptides for a few weeks before your trip. And I was mm -hmm. like, 
so smart. Sometimes you need a reminder. <laughs> like I know that, but Dr. Hunt is great. And she was like, yeah, just do it for a few weeks. And I was like, you're absolutely right. That was really helpful. And okay. then I think getting on supportive supplements was huge too, because I mean, probably by the time I hit my late twenties, my, my parents were like, you need to take multivitamins. And you know, we know that the standard American diet isn't exactly helping us. Right. Um, so a lot of us uh, suffer from malnutrition or aren't getting nutrients in the right way. And when you have an autoimmune condition that can make things even more complicated for, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, absorbing these nutrients. So for me, it was really like taking a full picture of my blood work, um, which gave me a sense of what was going on in my gut um, and even doing um, like uh, stool samples and things like that to make sure that things weren't off and detoxing a bit. Um, I, I detoxed from heavy metals. One of the huge steps I took actually was switching to um, largely uh, all natural like skincare and hair care mm -hmm. and stuff too. Um, and it hasn't done a bad job, um, as you can see. So, um, so yeah, uh, just sort of reducing toxicity in my everyday life, getting on some of these supportive supplements, which for me were like iron and, um, omega threes, um, and things like that. And again, being aware that you might not be on all of those all the time. I, at one point, and this is an anecdotal uh, piece of evidence, but I overdosed on vitamin D at one point, um, mm. which messed with my skin. And that doesn't happen to everyone, um, but it happened to me. And so, you know, it's just about finding your way through that stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'm on too high a dose. I got to bring it down. And I've been off vitamin D to get my levels in a better place. So it's really just being able to shift with your body and being open to those changes and being a student of your body and, and, um, like I get excited when I get my labs, I'm like, Oh, what, what, you know, what are we shifting now? Or, and it keeps me on my toes. It keeps my, my mind active too. You know, it's kind of like doing the crossword, but for your body, right. um, you know, so, um, yeah, it's just, it's really about keeping track of that stuff and, and yeah. And being excited about it. Like I went from taking probably 40 pills a day to taking like maybe 15. So, you know, sometimes you've got to do more in order to do less later on. Um, and most of those 15 pills I take now are non-prescription. They're supplements, you know. Right. So, yeah, it's just about being mindful of that. I, I also recently um, even got tested for celiac because okay. I was like, I think some of my digestive issues that like haven't resolved yet, and there's a strong connection between celiac and Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know it, I came back positive on the the labs. So, you know, it's, it's just, you got to keep studying and keep being yeah. aware of what sometimes doesn't even show up as a symptom that you could still have. And, um, yeah. And so I get excited about, like, I geek out over it now and over the science and like the connection between the brain and the gut is like, to me, oh, yeah. so cool, you know, um, and ways that we can heal ourselves holistically really excite me. I mean, I've had uh, people on the show, like a, a neurohumorist who talks about the power mm -hmm. of laughter and, and, um, healing and laughter and joy and just bringing all of that back to yourself and like giving it to yourself as a gift. Cause healing is such a gift. Yeah. You know, again, we take it for granted when we're living in normally functioning bodies, but we also live in a world that doesn't exactly cater to having body yeah. dysfunction, mm -hmm. um, okay. whether that's a very obvious physical disability that requires a wheelchair or, you know, a cane or something to something invisible. Um, and, you know, I, I also feel like that nine to five grind and, um, you know, the way in which we're expected to perform in that grind as well for minimal or lesser and lesser amounts of pay, uh, you know, is, that's a difficult one to reconcile as well. So I think we all have to find our way through that. I mean, I'm such a millennial saying that, but um, you know, uh, everyone's got to find their own way through this stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think you just got to like take a look at your life and take stock and yeah. shed, shed the stuff that's not helping, whether they're relationships or, you know, medications that aren't working or, but you know, do that with your doctor, um, mm -hmm. you know, or doctors that aren't helping and find the right ones for you. Yes, absolutely. Were there any major adjustments I think that you had to make um, for your thyroid condition? Yep. I uh, discovered the autoimmune protocol probably mm -hmm. a year or so um, oh. after my diagnosis. And um, 
it came up in various conversations with people. I'd had different nutritionists and doctors say, have you looked into paleo? Have you looked into keto? Mm. And all. Now I'd done those before, um, before I was sick. Um, and none of them really resonated with me. I'm also very much, um, a proponent of body positivity and, uh, diet culture. I don't jive with that. Um, you know, it's not, it's something that I'm trying to reject actively trying to reject because it's still constantly in our faces. Um, and so the idea of like going on another diet that I would probably yo-yo on, um, was a little iffy Okay. for the first time in my life. I actually approached it from a health perspective and not from a weight loss perspective. Mm. And I said to myself, I think this was probably last September. I said, okay, I'm going to commit to doing this for like three to four months and see how I feel. And by new year's, I remember looking in the mirror and I was like feeling a lot better. I was, I'd lost 15 pounds in, puff in bloat. Mm -hmm. But the weight loss was like a side effect and it was just weight, extra weight I was holding on to. And it's certainly not the last 15 pounds, you know, but um, it was a lot of like water weight that I was holding on to and discomfort. And like, it was Mm -hmm. making me feel like I didn't fit in my clothes and all that kind of thing. And because a lot of us with hypothyroidism end up having weight gain and rapid weight gain. And we're we sort of going, why is that happening? And of course that happened to me. So um, look, yes, I lost weight, but and I've kept it off. But um, more than anything, going on the autoimmune protocol made me feel so much better. Yeah. And um, that was, you know, largely cutting out gluten and dairy, legumes, um, and a few nightshades. Um, and going from being vegan, because when I got sick, I was largely vegan. Okay. Um, to eating meat again, which was tough because ethically I, I, you know, I have issues with eating meat, but I also Mm. realize that there are ways in which to consume meats that are much more responsible and sustainable. So, and again, this is an access thing, right? I recognize my privilege fully in the fact that I live in LA. I live down the street from Whole Foods. I have a farmer's market every Sunday. You know, I've got farmers bringing in grass-fed everything and free, you know, pasture-raised everything. So I have access to better meats. Now, if you live in a food desert, that may not necessarily be the case. Um, so everyone's got to reconcile their options differently. But uh, for sure, changing the way I ate has, it's helped me immensely. And um, I just feel cleaner. I feel, you know, like you just feel brighter. You start to like yeah. brighten up when you get rid of toxicity. And that's really what it was. I detoxed. So, um, I used that diet to detox. It wasn't nearly as strict as I thought it would be. I used an app that was really helpful to get me through it called real plans, which is like an amazing app. Um, it made all my shopping completely intuitive and all my recipes were there for me. Um, and it was so easy. Like I never thought it would be that easy and it was so easy. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of AIP. Um, and, uh, also, you know, big fans of people looking at what they're eating and how that's feeding their bodies. Um, and not in a way that's like emotionally damaging, um, really important to take the health perspective and go like, not how do I look, but how do I feel? when I put mm. this in my body. And, and that's not just about food. It's also about your skincare and about, you know, your, your clothes and all that kind of stuff. It's just right. being ethical and responsible with as many of your choices as you can be. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay. Let's shift. Let's, let's talk about the podcast. Yeah, totally. So uninvisible, how long was it in the works before it Good came question. to be? <laughs> Good question. I I would say it was probably I was ideating on it for a good seven months, six or seven months before it happened. So it was actually pretty quick um, because it happened so organically. And Mm. again, this is something that I was very fortunate with because I already have a background as a voice actor. I already have recording equipment. Like I had this stuff at my disposal, right? Um, I can talk to a brick wall, you know, like it's not hard for me (laughs) to people. So in case you hadn't noticed, but you're not, so don't worry. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I do, um, I did have a lot of those skills already in place. So, um, it was a very natural shift that I was also 
because I had started doing a little bit of freelance writing for like health.com and other publications, Mm -hmm. I had been starting to interview people too. Okay. And, um, so I was starting to get used to that and, uh, these conversations because I literally, when I got sick, the first thing I did was post on Facebook and say, who's feeling these three symptoms and let's talk about it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. because I thought, well, that, that Facebook is my easiest way to reach a thousand people. Right. Um, so that opened up so many conversations. And then of course that conversation of why aren't we having this conversation more publicly? Um, so yeah, I had the equipment, I was having the talks already and I was like, why don't I just hit record on these? And they've ended up having such a beautiful response from people who are tuning in. And I also um, really feel the need to represent a diverse population of the the disability community, the invisible illness community, Mm -hmm. focus of that disability community. Um, but you know, there are people who have visible disabilities who have additional disabilities that may not be visible. There are people who have completely invisible stuff going on. There are people who live, um, at the intersection of invisibility in more than one way in their lives. Um, and so I'm really trying to explore all of those avenues, um, and, uh, talk to people not only here in the States as well, but all over the world. Um, so really trying to open those conversations up and, and continue having them. And I found with this podcast, the more I've done it, the more I've met people and talked to people. And, um, you know, of course I'm always harping at my doctors to come on the shows too, <laughs> um, which some have already. So, um, you know, it's just, it's always, um, it's always growing and it's really exciting. And, um, I've been getting some really lovely press and I'm actually now a finalist, um, in the, we go health awards, um, right. or yeah, for, um, best in show podcast, which will be announced on Thursday. And I'm like, so excited. and so, yes. um, so just being one of the final five in that category is so amazing. Um, among so many other finalists who are doing such wonderful work. And, um, I just feel like I'm getting the response. Um, and mm-hmm. so this, I'm a big fan of like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks again. Like I realize that I have the privilege to do that, but like I, I certainly, um, have done that in my life and had to change my career a few times because mm-hmm. a career in the arts that I had trained for isn't always viable for all of us. And, uh, this ended up combining all of my passions and, and my skills, um, so I'm just sort of pushing forward with it and we'll see what continues to be born from it. Um, and I'm open to it growing and changing as we all grow and change. Yeah, it is. I've listened to probably most of them and mm. it is so good. I love Thank just the, the different things that you touch on and all the different and just the personal, the personal stories and what people have gone yeah. through. And, and, and I would also, I would say in many ways, the personal is so political, um, whether it's with regard to our, this, the state of our insurance in this country, or, um, with regard to the state of disability in this country, you know, um, and these various intersections that people who've been on the show live at, be they intersections of race or gender, um, that may affect the way in which they're being treated by their medical providers. Um, and I think it's important to be examining all of those points of view. Um, and, for, for us to have conversations with people who we maybe wouldn't necessarily meet in our everyday lives or um, whose opinions and uh, points of view are of such value um, because everyone's point of view is so valuable. So it's really just about talking to as many people as we can and like getting all those diverse perspectives and um, yeah, just, just making sure that like everyone's getting heard and that, yeah. And there are so many through lines in those conversations too, you know? Um, so it's really interesting how much we have in common when we hear these different stories, quote, right. right? Um, and that's kind of beautiful too. And it reminds me how small the world is in kind of a nice way, you know, that we're yeah. all interconnected and, um, you know, we can all be friends. I've made so many friends because of this podcast. It's like, <laughs> it's such a blessing in that way. Um, 
You know, like I, I was just like sending DMs with one of my friends who's on the podcast this week. Um, well, for the next two weeks, because we had this mm-hmm. amazing long interview. He's on the show the next two weeks and we were just like sending direct messages, like checking in on each other and like checking in on his jog, you know, <laughs> like, and yeah. that's just, it's such a, a gift. Um, and so I, it's just, and that excites me. And also, you know, what's great is to be a Spoonie and have Spoonie friends who get yes. it. Yes. Um, so yeah, it, there's just so much freedom in those conversations. And, um, you know, my aim is to, to educate, but also to liberate and to remind everyone that you're not alone. Like right. there is a lot of overlap in the stories that we hear and the stories that we share. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, so would you say that's your goal? Just kind of like making sure that these people are heard and yeah, is that your goal for the podcast? I have a million goals. <laughs> um, I'm quite ambitious at this point, but um, the main goal of the podcast and the reason I started the podcast is interesting. It's the same reason I became an actor. It was that I felt that stories needed to be told. Um, mm. The thing that has underlined my career from the beginning has been storytelling. And I believe in the power of stories to change the world, to change the way that we think about the world around us. Um, I believe in the, the power of stories to, to influence politics. Um, and so to me, the importance of getting those stories out there and allowing those stories to change the world simply by existing on a larger platform is the central goal. Um, mm-hmm. And because I didn't feel like I had that many resources and I felt really alone when I got diagnosed and then I started meeting people who were just like me. So also just feeling like we have a sense of community and that we have resources at our fingertips. So those are all a huge part of it. But another huge part of it is making the invisible visible, you know, giving validity and legitimacy to these conditions that heretofore have been ignored or, um, you know, glossed over, as you mentioned earlier on in this interview. Um, so really to, to give them voice. Um, and I believe everyone deserves a soapbox at some point. So, um, you know, like just providing a soapbox. (laughs) Um, Very rare that I get to stand on the soapbox myself. So this is, which is why I'm going on and on and on, but like, it's very, it's very exciting to me. Well, this is great. Um, so let's, let's get people to you. Um, where can our followers find your information and follow Uninvisible? You can follow us on social on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Uninvisible Pod. That's U-N-I-N-V-I-S-I-B-L-E.com. Uh, or sorry, pod, <laughs> uninvisible pod at uninvisible pod. And you can also find me on the internet at uninvisiblepod.com. Um, and then you can listen to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, um, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all of it. I'm on all the platforms. Um, and if you ever have questions, I do endeavor to answer every note I receive personally. Feel free to reach out via the website or send me a DM um, on any of the platforms that I'm on. I love to connect with my listeners. And I mean, they're, they're the reason I keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm just, these conversations need to be had. And like, we all sit with some degree of prejudice or, you know, limited perspective. And the more we can open that perspective up um, and, and engage in civil discussion, which is something that the world is going further and further away from, um, the better we'll all be for it. So um, whether or not you have an invisible illness, if you know someone who does, if you've got loved ones who you want to understand you better, um, I think it's a great listen. Um, and I hope you guys will keep tuning in and, um, you know, thank you for those of you who voted <laughs> at the WECO Health Awards and, um, yeah, just keep following along. There's lots more coming. I promise I am working on a few little projects that are, uh, have been on the back burner that are coming forward. So, you know, lots more coming and um, lots of great interviews heading into the rest of the year and the beginning of next year. So, um, and we're not even a year in. So, um, yeah. Great. Yeah. We're going to be excited. Thank you. I am excited too. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just really because a lot of this is uncharted territory too. You know, like there are a few other. Um, like blogs and podcasts out there about invisible illness, but a lot of them are focused like on one particular 
topic, you know, the Hashimoto's or whatever. And um, my goal is to actually cover something a little broader. Um, So there are episodes on all different topics. And you can also like, if you're looking for something specific, go to the homepage of the website. There's like a little word cloud on the bottom right if you scroll down and you can click on the words that might... um, might correlate more directly to what you're looking for and you'll get episodes that relate to that. So um, it'll help you narrow down your search as well. But you can also look through the Instagram profile and everything for all of the past episodes and check it out. And we're always yeah, looking for new guests. So reach yeah. out if you've got a story to tell. So we're, we're drawing to a close. We have a couple more things though. If you had to sum up your advice to fellow sufferers in one sentence, what would that sentence be? Yeah. Did I write? I'm trying to think. Oh yeah. Okay. I did write this down for myself because I was like, there are so many things I need to write it down. So my advice is life isn't any more complicated now than it was pre-diagnosis. It's just complicated in a different way. And I think perspective is everything. Um, mm. And I, I, I truly, my life is just as complicated now as it was before I got sick. It's literally just different minutia, you know, like the, there's still minutia. There's still cogs moving. Um, they've just been replaced by other cogs. Um, and I'm more okay with that than anything. So I think it's, you know, getting to that place of acceptance, changing your perspective, being open to these stories, being open to changing your story. Like that's mm-hmm. our biggest roadblock is ourselves in so many instances. Yeah. And, um, you know, being able to change the way you look at your story um, and take inspiration from the people around you or seek inspiration where you're not getting it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not alone, but keep on trucking. Yes. Absolutely. Um, All right. Final thing. What is the worst comment or piece (laughs) of advice you received when it comes to your Well, um, the one that I always joke about with my mother, (laughs) she always will, I'll be writing to her about something like, I mean, my mom and I are like, we're super, super close. Right. So I'm texting her all the time. We're talking most days. And um, my favorite flippant comment that she makes is, are you getting your period? <laughs> Which usually comes from her. And she's usually right. Whenever she says it, I'm like, wait, let me check the calendar. And I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. So like, if it were anyone else, I would be like, stuff that right back up in your mouth. I'm not hearing it. But like from my mother, I can handle it. But like, you know, just like most people be wary if you're saying that to people. Right? But the other one, and PS, I, I vetted this with her to make sure it was okay that I said this. Okay, okay. She's, she's okay with this. Um, hi mom. Um, the other one is, I I mentioned it earlier was when I was sitting in front of that doctor and told her I wasn't okay. And she said I was, and I was like, I'm not. And she said, it's time to see a psychiatrist, which I think is just the most cruel way to write someone off when they're telling you there's something wrong with their bodies. Um, and also don't just say, go to a psychiatrist, recommend one, (laughs) you know? Um, And also like just having not read my chart and not paying attention to the fact that I was seeing one, there were so many factors that went into that comment that were so upsetting, but, um, don't ever write people off the number of practitioners who I've spoken to on my show and who I've just asked privately who haven't even been on the show yet, who, um, I've said, you know, what's the incidence of hypochondriacs that you, you actually come across Mm -hmm. in your practice. It's like almost zero. Right. So, you know, you're not making it up. What you're experiencing is real and there is a way to get to the bottom of it. And I just want to validate that for people who are listening um, and watching along because it is so important to fight for what you need um, if you're not getting it and tell those haters to stay away. <laughs> because unfortunately, I mean, I'm sure so many of our listeners and, and followers can relate to that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us go through it. And I think, you know, again, this is something that also there's like a gender disparity, right? Like I think more women experience this than men. And I've talked to women who like will bring a male advocate with them to their appointments and all of a sudden they'll be heard on a different level. Right. Um, my mom even told me that when she was my age, when she was in her thirties, she wouldn't have been allowed to bring her mother to appointments. Like the doctors wouldn't have let her mother in the room. So like even that has changed that you can bring an advocate with you. Um, so if you feel like you're not being, being heard, bring an advocate. Yes, definitely. Advice. But like bottom line, 
things are always going to be complicated. That's life. Just work around the changes. You can do it. Well, this has been a great interview. Um, thank yeah. you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. I'm excited to hear what's coming up soon. Yeah. Um, Naomi's always been, and Holtorf, like you guys have always been such massively kind and generous supporters of my work. So I can't thank you enough and, and of my health. <laughs> so I can't thank you guys enough. And if you're in LA, go to their practice in El Segundo and um, Dr. Holtorf himself is out there and he's been on the show. Um, but also I see Dr. Lisa Hunt and she's amazing and her expertise is in thyroids and, mm-hmm. and Lyme disease, which is a lot of what the practice specializes in. So, um, and I have friends who've been on my show who also see Dr. Hunt who have Lyme and Hashis. So, you know, there's this beautiful overlap in our worlds and I'm just so thrilled that I found you guys, that we have this ongoing, you know, generosity between our, our platforms. And, um, I'm just so happy for all of you guys to, to tune in. So please check out the pod and, uh, there's a new episode coming out tomorrow. So yeah. uh, stay tuned for that. That's with Ariel L of at Carpe That DM, which is on uh, Instagram. Um, and it's a really exciting interview. I get so excited about all of them. I'm like, it's the best one yet, but they're all so exciting to me. So um, I really hope you guys will enjoy it. It's a two-parter. So part one is out tomorrow. Yeah, we'll be posting that on our page as well. So you'll be able to find it there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. And thanks everybody for watching. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Have a good one. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.